Electric vehicle sales reached a milestone last year of 10 million units, growing 60% year over year. How are things expected to develop in 2023? Does the reverse direction of EV company shares indicate a slowdown in sales numbers? Welcome to this edition of IG Trade in the Markets podcast. I'm Jeremy Naylor. We're talking now to Anthony Sassine from Crane Shares about the sector. I want to begin, first of all, by taking a look at that headline that I just indicated, that 10 million mark that was surpassed last year, which sounds uh, very good. Put this into some sort of context and how has 2023 started? You know, absolutely. It was a big year last year, passing the 10 million mark for the first time, um, uh, for the first time. uh, And, uh, you know, just to keep things in context, we sold close to 75 million cars last year. Uh, only 10 million were EVs, so we have a long way to go. That's why we like that investment opportunity. I think we're going to have another great year this year. We're expecting close to 35% growth uh, in terms of uh, EV sales. Uh, we're expecting to hit 13.6 uh, million. If you want to include commercial cars, that's probably going to go above uh, 14 million. Things are moving along, right? And, and uh, more and more people are kind of adopting electric vehicles. We're seeing a lot more support from governments. The last year, the Inflation Reduction Act, which was a big surprise, that passed in the U.S. was a huge incentivizer for for you know for EV companies and the supply chain to kind of start setting up in the U.S. and it really projected the U.S. to be one of the leaders in EVs. So we're seeing we're seeing a lot of that happen as well in terms of government policy that is encouraging people to 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 look at EVs uh, as a viable solution for transportation. You know, uh, at the end of the day, this is part of the climate climate issue, right? Uh, we have a big climate uh, challenge on our hands, and we're going to need a lot of investments in order to to fix that problem. Uh, the goal is to keep uh, Earth from overheating more than 1.5 degrees in the next 30 to 40 years. We're going to need close to 200 trillion in investments. I mean, that- Absolutely. You've you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, that is absolutely the thing we should be looking at. But uh, when push comes to shove, uh, we've seen inflation come through. People are under a lot of stresses and strains in their personal finances. And I think it's very difficult for people really to find the sort of money that they're having to face at the moment in order to buy an electric vehicle. I mean, vehicle companies' stocks last year gave up valuable gains. Um, despite these good sales numbers and, and what appears now to be an improving margin situation, how do you add up all this? I mean, we've seen 10 million sales last year. Surely that's just the early adopters, those with the money that can do it. And now we're hitting the real problem of getting people who don't have the money to enter this market and to take on what is, let's face it, is still an experimental part of what's been a very long history of motor cars. We still don't have any proof that long-term electric vehicles are the answer. No, I mean, for the long-term, look, the answer is clear, right? We're going to have to replace 1.2 billion ICE cars that are currently on the road with electric vehicles. And we're still at 40 billion. But for sure, there's a lot of work to be done, right? Especially from technology side to lower the cost. Currently, electric vehicles are 20 to 30% more expensive than than your your counterpart uh, internal combustion engines. And there's a lot of work happening in that and with that regard. One of them is what I mentioned, the government policy, which is helping lower that cost, right? If you buy an electric vehicle com- uh, car, in, in the US, you get $7,500 back, right? Especially, there are also subsidies and incentives in, in China and in EU. That's one part. The second part is technology. 
we've seen tremendous advancement in technology over the past 10 to 12 years. Battery uh, uh, costs have come down to close to 90% uh, over the past 10 years, and we're expecting it to decline by another 30% by 2025 and another 30% by 2030, right? Currently, we're at one, uh, $152 uh, per kilowatt hour. We want, we want that to drop to, to 120 uh, kilowatt hours uh, $120 per kilowatt hours, right? To, to, to make uh, EV vehicles, uh, you know, as, as uh, cost similar to ICE vehicles. So, so we still have a lot of work to do. And all, as you mentioned, uh, the, the environment, the macro backdrop is not helping at all as well, because now uh, we're seeing rates go up in, in a big way. And, and, you know, we, we may be entering a slowdown over the next year or two in, in the US and maybe in Europe. So you're right. That's that's going to put a little bit of strain on on uh, people who who cannot afford electric vehicles, and that could be impacting demand also as well. But that's going to be short term, right? The long term story is we're moving forward. We're making that transition. And lastly, you started seeing uh, electric vehicle companies actually respond and cut prices, right? Tesla mm -hmm. cut its price on Model Y by 20%. It was uh, you know followed by other automakers. So, so that's going to regulate itself, right? And and demand and supply will meet at some point. But in the short term, you're absolutely correct. We may have some challenges. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Tesla. I mean, Tesla is obviously the benchmark against which other companies sort of trade themselves. Although Tesla only still really makes a, a small minority of, of vehicles compared to other manufacturers. And certainly in terms of some of the big uh, automakers, uh, I know that many have yet to enter properly into the market. I was reading an interesting statistic in, in Europe, uh, which was saying, in fact, that the European incumbents are not making the moves they need to make in this market. And we're now being overtaken by some of these Chinese manufacturers. And it's becoming the sort of almost existential threat uh, to the European car manufacturing industry because other companies outside of Europe are coming in and eating the lunch of BMW, Audi, Volkswagen, all the big incumbents here, the BMWs and so forth. How much of a, a threat is China, I think it's perhaps maybe the wrong word to use, but how much of an influence is, going to, is China going to be on the global uh, stage for electric vehicles? You know, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Tesla is the, you know, they started this revolution back in, in 2007. Uh, you know, when, when no one believed in, um, uh, in electric vehicles. And uh, they are the benchmark. They are ahead in many ways, uh, and not just in manufacturing, but also in battery, uh, uh, you know, innovation, also in autonomous driving. They have the most miles uh, and, 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 you know, and, and brand recognition as well. So uh, this, this phenomenon is not just very specific to Chinese uh, automakers. It's actually to any automaker who started focusing on electric vehicles first, right? Like like Tesla, but it happened that that China was ahead in that in that revolution, like Neo, Xpeng, Li, right? And, and the government provided the right subsidies for these companies to grow and for the market to grow. And now they're reaping the benefits because, you know, um, uh, EV and the transition is not just selling uh, selling cars. It's, it's about, you know, securing supply chains. It's about innovation. Uh, making sure you know that the manufacturing process is working. If you hear, if you heard the CEO of Ford two weeks ago on on their on their uh, earnings call, he actually said we're having issues manufacturing electric vehicle car. We have a mile and a half of wiring that we don't know what to do with. <laughs> you know, Tesla figured this out three years ago. Neo figured this out three years ago. So now we're seeing these companies who have who have access to supply chains, who have access to lithium, have uh, contracts with battery makers. They can scale production and they have an advantage in terms of production and innovation. 
So so that's only natural that they are grabbing most of the market share now. But that's not to say that the big automakers are not going to be right behind the corner, you know, because these are like very experienced major uh, companies that have been operating in that space for more than 100 year. But uh, the thing is that they were a little bit late to the game. Uh, they were, you know, more focused on the bottom line. They didn't make the right investments when they needed to. And now they're trying to catch up and they will catch up at some point. Yeah. Uh, reading through your notes before we, we went to air, I was looking at uh, some of the comments you had. You were, you were saying investors are concerned about the profitability of some of these startup electric vehicle companies like uh, Neo, Xpeng and, and, and Lee. And in 2023, is it going to be a real problem, do you think? This competition, is it going to start to um, uh, crystallize the lead of some companies and perhaps maybe put others under pressure, those that perhaps maybe are operating already on the margins. What, what do you see, what's the shakeout going to look like this year? Yeah, that's definitely one of the reasons why we saw negative performance for the electric vehicle ecosystem last year, especially for vehicles, right? After two years of very strong performance, uh, you know, they gave up some, some, some returns last year. And in many cases, they were down big. And I think that was a little bit overblown, right? We're mostly focused on profitability and potentially lower demand in the next year because of higher rates. Uh, and and that's that's part true. But but also if you look a little bit deeper and you peel the layers of that onion, you see that that these these companies they're very well capitalized, right? So you look at at, at the free cash flow for for uh, for Neo over the past three four years around ten billion. Uh, RMB, but you look at their cash is closer to 50 billion, right? So they have multiple years that uh, you know they can run on their own cash, and also they're backed by Tencent. So so that's another uh, big investor behind them. You know, Xpeng the same thing. They have three years of of uh, you know uh, cash uh, to cash burn uh, worth, and then and then they're backed by Alibaba. Uh, you know, Li Auto, who actually focuses on plug plug-in hybrid, uh, not just BEV, which is battery electric vehicles. And they're already profitable, right? After three years, I think mm -hmm. this is the uh, fastest uh, EV company to become profitable. You know, so 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 these companies are well capitalized. They have great products, and there's great momentum behind behind their products. Um, I think the market has, you know, just a little bit overreacted last year, and we're going to see that reverse. We're starting to see that reverse this year. Yeah. Also, talk to me a little bit about some of the. You talk about government support and some of the ways in which we're being helped along this road by trying to adopt these these vehicles. The uh, Inflation Reduction Act in the states, I think, is going to be enacted this year. Uh, you say it's it's a game changer. Uh, are we going to get that on this side of the Atlantic? Is that something that we're going to be relying on to help us steer us, if you forgive the pun, into this sort of area of the market where we are, as I say, on mostly still wedded to our combustion engine vehicles? We need a, an extra incentive to take us along that road. Yeah, no, absolutely. The Inflation Reduction Act was definitely one of the biggest, uh, you know, uh, positive events that happened last year. I was at the BNF conference in San Francisco a month or so ago, and everybody was buzzing about it, how important it is for the U.S. to put the U.S. back on the map with regards to to the EV uh, transition, right? So, uh, so just to give you a little bit of of uh, some information on how this helps. So, the battery production in China costs thirty thirty dollars less, you know, than than per kilowatt hour than in the U.S. because China has been doing this for a little bit longer. They have more, uh, you know, supply chain is is closer to them, and and they have the know how. The Inflation Reduction Act is giving battery makers to set up in the U.S. $45 in incentives to be able to do the R&D, the research development, the, the, the you know the the testing in order to be able to get to the Giga uh, factory, which 
can produce batteries at a cheaper price, right? So that's very helpful. It's also providing $7,500 uh, for people who are looking to buy a Tesla or, or a Neo or, or, or any uh, type of electric vehicles in the US uh, in, in the primary market. And also for the secondhand market, you know, if, if you know, used cars also are getting 4,000. So there's a lot of money also allocated for infrastructure like charging and, and, you know, incentives for hydrogen and people just set up locally. So that's great. And we're hearing from the EU that that's a little bit putting uh, uh, EU companies at a disadvantage and they're starting to think of their own uh, version of the Inflation Reduction Act. Europe has been at the forefront of, of you know, of regulations with regards to climate and electric vehicles. It's the second was the second biggest market uh, in the world up until last year, but now they have slowed down a little bit because of the energy crisis, understandably so. Uh, you know, but but you know we're not counting them out. I think they're going to come back in a big way, and that could be one of the ways where you know they put forward uh, uh, legis legislation that really encourages people to 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 buy these cars and encourages manufacturer to do more R and D and and lower the cost even more. Yeah, infrastructure is an interesting area, isn't it? I mean, there doesn't seem to be nearly enough, um, certainly government time here in the UK, uh, spent in looking at the infrastructure. Uh, my understanding is if you put too many people trying to charge their cars on the same road at any one time, you're going to get complete dropout on the network, on the electric network. I don't know how true that is and whether that's just the, the combustion engine lots uh, worrying about the fact that we're not going to be able to charge vehicles or whether it's a reality. Um, but there is a problem. There's no doubt about it. There just are not enough charging points and there's just not enough infrastructure to allow people the opportunity to charge vehicles at the sort of rate they need to in order to make sure they're ready for the next the next journey how, how do we get uh, how do we get around this you know absolutely it's if you look at the consumer service which we track every six months to see what they say about evs you know we have we have multiple sources that are asking the same questions to ev buyers and range and 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 you know anxiety is on the top of that list right it's getting better today with regards to also charging as well how fast it can be the location so it's getting a little bit better. So the one thing, uh, there are two ways, you know, two problems here that, that needs to be resolved. One is we need to make chargers very widely available everywhere so people can just, you know, uh, on their journey, wherever they're going, they're, they have the confidence that there's a charger somewhere, somehow that can help them recharge and, and so they can continue on their journey. And that's happening through these legislations, right? The U.S. has, has a target of, of uh, having uh, close to 500,000 uh, EV chargers by 2020 by in the next five years i think we're at 130,000 now so so they're working actively in multiple departments you hear from the department of energy department of transportation and even on the state level as well like california and different states they're providing big incentives and working very closely with ev charging companies to make sure that infrastructure is available because this is one way you're going to have proliferation uh proliferation of electric vehicles uh, same thing is happening in europe and china they're way ahead with regards to electric uh, vehicle charging stations. There are 600,000, right? Uh, uh, actually, uh, sorry, in 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 uh, in Europe also as well. They're close to 250,000. So we're making progress there, right? And I think in the next two three years, you're going to see a big change in terms of availability of infrastructure, right? And the second thing is the grid. How do we update the grid to make sure that they can sustain all this charging, especially that most electric vehicles will be charging at the same time at peak hours. Right. So we're seeing a lot of work also from the utility companies upgrading their grids, coming up with programs and different solutions to kind of make, you know, ease that issue. And and from what we're hearing at this point, they are moving uh, along with the demand. Right. So there's no issue 
with regards to the current demand or where the demand is going to be in the next year or two. So they're putting a lot of resources behind, you know, making sure like like putting chargers at the workstation, at the workplace, right? So you can charge during the day when you're at work rather than just doing it when, when you come back at home or at the mall or different places, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there are solutions in the works and, and you know, everybody's so focused on those. I don't see that's going to be a problem, right? A big problem uh, in, in, in the future because everybody's focused and they have the right solutions to make sure that doesn't happen. To, to what degree as well has the war in Ukraine hit this market? Look, we can't avoid the fact that the war has seen a lot of tragedy, a lot of personal stories that have been, re it's really sad watching what's happening there. But from a business point of view, to what degree is the war that Russia has waged so far against Ukraine hindered this market that we're talking about? No, absolutely. Uh, our heart goes out to, to all the victims, you know, of the war in Ukraine and even Russia. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a tragedy for sure. So the immediate impact from the war was very high metal prices immediately, right, that we saw happen last year in the first half. Uh, you know, uh, metal prices kind of skyrocketed and, and that really impacted uh, battery makers. We saw many of them miss on margins in, in the second quarter, right? And, and then even the automakers were a little bit under pressure trying to scramble to make sure that they, they have enough supplies, you know, for their orders, which or you know, because, because when you book a car, you book it three, four, five months in advance and they have to do it later. So they want to make sure, you know, when you buy it five months before it happened, it was a lot cheaper. The projection for metals was was lower and that the war happens and now everything, all the prices went up. So so we saw a lot of, uh, you know, um, challenges for both the battery makers and electric vehicles, mostly for the battery makers. But but that kind of subsided uh, after a little while. Right. And we start seeing nickel cobalt prices go down uh, uh, the second quarter, but lithium prices remain high. That's also partly because of high demand. So that's, uh, we're seeing a lot more supply now come online. Uh, by end of this year, we're expecting lithium prices to start trending lower, and that's gonna help in lowering the battery prices. Mm. So impact of the war of this year is we saw the battery prices increase for the first time in 12 years, right? They went up from 151, uh, 141 uh, per kilowatt hours to 151. That was the first year after 10 years of steady decline. Uh, so, you know, uh, it had its impact. It's the impact is, is uh, dwindling a little bit. You know, we are adjusting to a new normal, but for certain events like this can help, you know, uh, uh, delay some of the advancements that we're seeing. How about uh, new, new, new technologies? You talk about lithium, talk about nickel. Um, my understanding is, again, from reading your notes, that new sodium iron based chemistry could come to our aid is that uh, a, a reality? Is that commercially available yet? If not, how long is that going to take? And to what degree do you think it could end up taking over from battery storage? The other thing, of course, is hydrogen. We're hearing on the peripheries that hydrogen is now an, uh, also another option that we could end up going down. W where do you see all this settling out? Yeah, there's a lot of work on, on, on different chemistries and different ways of, you know, innovations with regards to electric vehicles, powering electric vehicles, right? Um, so, so on the battery side, you have multiple multiple companies working on different projects. So, uh, Cattle has been working on sodium ion, uh, which which uh, seems to be the most viable for now kind of solution. But the problem with sodium ion is not going to give you a breakthrough on range or on, on uh, energy density. Uh, it actually has low. It's going to have a lower energy density than lithium, right? By 20, 25 percent you actually need more 
higher energy density, which means you need to pack more energy in that specific space called battery pack, right, in order to fit in the car. Uh, but what that does is uh, we're seeing a lot of sales in China and other places with with low to medium range cars and sodium ion could be a very good solution there. Uh, you know, and uh, and uh, if you have more chargers, then you don't have to worry as much about about packing more energy density because you're able to to charge more often. Uh, but what that does is it helps alleviate pressure from lithium, right? And helps lower the lithium prices and hopefully the battery prices sooner than later. Uh, the other, uh, we're also working on solid state. The, the outcome there is still not clear, you know, but that could be a solution as well for having better safety and, and you know, and probably longer range. Other things is we're looking at different innovations in terms of like anode-free uh, batteries, basically packing more, uh, you know, working with the space of the pack to pack more density, right? Uh, uh, Cattle just came up with a shillin uh, battery, which is now included in the Zeker 007 car uh, from Geely, which can go up to 600 miles or 1,000 kilometer in range. Mercedes-Benz also was able to figure out a way to, to get the battery range above 1,000. We have another company in the U.S., one which is working with BMW, also has been able to build a hybrid, actually, type of battery from nickel and lithium because nickel is better for longer range, but it's more expensive. Lithium is more stable, lower range, but less expensive. So they were able to build that hybrid battery, which can, you know, uh, use lithium or, or nickel based on the use of the car. And they were able to break through the thousand uh, kilometers. So we're seeing advancement, but there's no specific te technology, unfortunately, that is going to give us the breakthrough of having 1500 kilometers in it soon. We're still working on that. As for hydrogen, from what I'm hearing from experts in that space, that hydrogen may not be a viable solution for transportation. It will have different uses. But for transportation, it may be harder to do because of infrastructure and transportation and all these things. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Uh, look, um, I want to take a look at the fund that you you run, uh, and I want to take a look. This is um, uh, the the there's there's two. There's one on each side of the Atlantic. The the, the longer lo the longer running one is the one in the in the US, and I've got this here. It's the beginning of 2022. Uh, since then, we've seen this pullback in the market. In fact, recently we've hit levels not seen since September 2020. What, what, first of all, what is the fund made up of? I, I love the ticker, by the way, K-A-R-S, and you can find this on the IG platform. Just, just talk to us a little bit about the movement and what the fund represents. So definitely, it's a crane share, uh, electric vehicle, future mobility, ESG screen. We have, we, we started in the US in 2017 because crane shares foresaw that, that electric vehicles is, is a big theme, is a big investment themes. And for really a couple of years, we saw very low action traction there. But then in 2020, all of a sudden, you know, we started seeing the, you know, the inflection point into people really wanting to make that transition, governments helping. So, so uh, the fund is, is uh, you know, constructed uh, by, with collaboration with BNF, Bloomberg New Energy Finance. They're one of the top research firms for new energy finance. Uh, they have more than 20 people focused on transport. So we work very closely with them in selecting the universe. And that's very important, right? Because when you're investing in electric vehicles, you want to make sure that the underlying holdings are actually deriving their, their, their revenues from, from electric vehicle activities, right? So, so we make sure that we don't include any of the big technology names like Google or, or Microsoft or Apple, which has a very small uh, business uh, in electric vehicles, but the revenue is, is very minimal, less than 1%, right? Uh, compared to the overall uh, revenue of the firm. 
we also made sure we don't include the big semiconductors like NVIDIA and Texas Instrument, which also have like uh, an EV business, but also very tiny. So with the work uh, with BNF, we selected a universe, an ecosystem, right? Because Tesla outsources 200,000 parts uh, from, from other outside vendors, right? 10,000 unique parts. So there's a whole ecosystem working with that, not just Tesla and Neo, right? So, so that's basically the electric vehicle uh, companies, the uh, EV components companies that are supplying the, the, the hardware, the software, the sensors, you have the battery makers, you have the mining companies, the charging infrastructure companies also working on hydrogen, autonomous, right? So there's this is a whole ecosystem that is working to, to advance this, this transition uh, to electrification. And this fund gives you access to all of it. Now we're looking into recycling because, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot, lot, of, lot of traction behind recycling companies that could be part of the solution, right? Where you can recycle all batteries and bring it back to the supply. Uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to the supply chain. So, so it's a very complete fund, comprehensive, very balanced. We have we have constraints on how much a company can take up of the fund. We don't want one company to, to take dominate the fund or one industry. So, uh, uh, holdings are capped at four percent. Industries are capped at forty percent. As a result, today we have 30 percent of the fund is in electric vehicles, another thirty percent in batteries. You have twenty percent, twenty five percent mining. And also you have uh, another 10, 15% in EV components, uh, two to 3% in EV chargers, and then and then more in, in, in other uh, mm. relevant industries, yeah. right? And the, lastly, I say here, one thing you get is you, when you do it right, you get a, not only balanced exposure from the industry side, but also from the country exposure side, right? So the, the fund has, has a, a exposure to the three biggest uh, markets in the world, China, U.S. and EU, uh, sizable exposure to each of these, in addition to Japan and Korea. So mm. we're very happy with the fund, and we think this is one of the best way you can access that investment theme. Yeah, just 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 one more question. I want to go back to the chart as well, and just to compare and contrast. This this is the one we've just been talking about, which is the the U.S. one. There's also a USITS ETF and ESG screened. Uh, this is for Europe, isn't it? Any different between the two? When when you dial in cars and you dial up the uh, the opportunities that you can get here with the Crane Shares Electric Vehicles. Um, index, you get this choice. Just explain what the difference is between the two. There's no difference between the two, right? So we just launched the same fund in, in Europe six months ago, ESG screen. So that's an Article 8 fund, uh, right? Uh, uh, you know, we have an ESG screen behind it through Bloomberg and Sustainalytics, making sure we exclude the companies that are have big controversies like Valley, uh, Indonesia had a big uh, had a big accident. A lot of people died, and you know, so these type of companies we kind of exclude them. Uh, but it's the same exact fund. Good. Look, uh, it's a pleasure, Anthony, to catch up with you, and thanks indeed. You've filled in a lot of gaps in my knowledge in this uh, fascinating sector, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about what happens this year and into the future. 2025, as you mentioned, is a going to be an interesting uh, point to look out for from this point on. In the meantime, thanks indeed for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Anthony Sassine there from Crane Shares about the electric vehicle sector.